Welcome to the Viva Young Adults podcast. We're the Young Adults Ministry of Viva Church, and we want to thank you so much for tuning in. Whether you're already a part of YA or a guest with us today, we hope that what's shared encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. Tonight I want to look at some, a few things. I want to look at some paradoxes, some biblical paradoxes. And paradoxes are just things that um, seemingly don't seem like they should go together or seemingly uh, like don't seem like they should exist at the same time, but they're, they do. It's like this tension that we live in. There's a lot of paradoxes in the Bible that we have to kind of live and be comfortable living in the tension of. Um, and I want to look at some of those. I want to look at one predominantly. I want to look at some hard verses in the Bible. My, the title of my message is called Holy, Holy, Holy. Okay. Um, three, three different punk. Thank you. Um, and I want to look at some scriptures, okay? Some hard verses, some scriptures that are um, descriptive, not prescriptive. So they're not um, prescribing anything. They're not telling you to do something. They're just describing something that happened, and we can learn something from that, okay? I want to look at some of these scriptures that, you know, maybe we can wrestle with um, tonight together. Um, I believe, you know, in our culture, being on social media, being in my generation as a 27-year-old, I think that sometimes, um, you know, I notice that we could tend to have a warped view of God, an inaccurate view of God. Um, when I look at social media and I listen to maybe a lot of the songs that we sing, it's a lot about the love of God. And God is loving, okay? God is love. First John says it. Okay, God is love, but God is also holy. Okay, he's perfect in love and he's perfect in holiness. And when I see, um, you know, like just especially, um, you know, just a lot of um, these influencers, these Christian influencers, they address a lot of God's love for you. And that's good. That's good. Um, and God does love you. You know, th- there's no doubt in my mind. The Bible says it. He sent John 3, 16, so it's for God so loved the world. So there's no doubt there. But tonight I want to I give us a balance and I want to take a look at God's holiness and how we relate to God's holiness, okay? Um, you know, I think we like to forget that God is a holy God, that God doesn't accept sin, And um, the Bible, here's a fun fact for you. The Bible calls God love twice. Two times it says that God is love in the whole Bible. And they're in the same passage of scripture, 1 John 4. Okay, and that's enough. If the Bible said it once that God was love, then God is love. There's no denying it. Do you know how many times the Bible calls God holy? Over 400 times. Over 400 times, the Bible calls God holy. And when I look at, you know, the messages being preached and the songs being written, it doesn't really seem like that. It seems like the other way around, like God is called love over 400 times and only called holy twice, right? And we like the lovingness of God. We do, you know, we need to because we would be dead without it. But, um... I want to take a look at the holiness. This is Revelations 4, verse 8. And it says, 
This is John seeing what's happening in heaven. I think you have that scripture there, right, Nikki? Yeah. Um, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. Okay? So what does that mean? That means they're, they're flying around, and they have eyes everywhere. And this is so they can constantly get a 360 aerial view of God. They're constantly just seeing the fullness of God. And these are the beings that are closest to God. Okay, that's their whole job is to fly around God. And it says, in day and night, they never cease to say what? Holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord... He who was and is and is to come. The word they, that comes to mind to them is not love, love, love. When they see God, what do they say? Holy, holy, holy. Love, love, love is the other fab four is the Beatles. That's what they sing. But the four living creatures say holy, holy, holy. And God's holiness has to do with his moral perfection. He's a perfect judge. He does everything right 100% of the time. He doesn't make mistakes. Okay, um, everything he does is perfect, and he's so committed to his holiness that he will even suffer for it. Jesus came and died because of his holiness. Okay, first Peter says this, and this is taken from the Old Testament as a command that God gave, and it says, Since it is written, this is God speaking, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So now it's not only that God is holy, but he's commanding us to be holy. Okay, so this is how we relate to God. And holiness sounds like such a far-fetched thing. Like, okay, maybe God is holy, but I'm supposed to be holy. That sounds like such a weird thing. That sounds like maybe just a God thing, holiness, right? But he's saying that we're called to be holy. And the word holy in its most basic form just means set apart. Okay, you're set apart for something. You're consecrated for something. So God is holy means that there's no one beside him. He's set apart. He's this other thing that we can't even like even begin to fathom how great God is. And when we're called to be holy, it means we're called to be set apart, right? And we are made holy by who? Jesus, right? So we're called to live set apart. Look at 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says this, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So that's what he's doing to us, to be a holy priesthood. So we are called to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And what God is doing in the scripture is he's setting up the terms of the relationship. Okay? And we see this all throughout the Bible is that God sets up, or Jesus when he speaks, sets up the terms of the relationship that we have with him. Right? Just like when you get a job, you get like a list of expectations. This is what's expected of you at your job. You're expected to show up on time. You're expected to perform your tasks. You're expected to respect your, your boss and, and treat the customers or whatever with respect, right? There's a list of expectations, right? And so when we get saved, there's a list of expectations that God expects from us. He expects us to love people. He expects us to forgive, right? There's this terms of the relationship, right? And I mean, Jesus says in Luke 6, 46 to these people, he says, why are you guys calling me Lord if you don't do what I say? And so there's this tendency that we can call God Lord all we want. But even Jesus was like, why are you calling me this if you're not obeying my words? So he's defining what Lord is, what it, what, what it means to be Lord, right? He's setting up the terms of this relationship. If we're going to call him Lord, that means we do what he says, 
right? We listen to his word. When we read his word, we allow it to impact us and change us, right? Um, here's another term to, of the relationship. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, so he's setting up a term here. Who here worships God? Okay, so then the term is that you must, not should, not can, you must worship in spirit and in truth. And in spirit, I mean, when we look at this, I mean, the spirit is not just, it's more than just the goosebumps you feel when the worship team plays your favorite song, right? Like we worship him in spirit, so we feel his presence here, but there's also this truth aspect to it. So we're worshiping the one true God, truly recognizing who he really is in his fullness, not an idea of what we want him to be, right? We have to worship him in truth. We have to relate to him in truth, okay? So I'm just trying to put some context for you guys as I go into these scriptures. Um, we have to worship God in the terms that he sets, and I'll, I'll be real with you, we don't like terms, as humans, we don't, especially our generation. I'm, I'm in this, right? We like to set our own terms. And we like to love God however we feel like loving God. We like to serve God however I feel like serving God, however it's comfortable to me to love God, right? But God as the creator God, as Lord of our lives, he sets the terms. He teaches us how to love him, right? He teaches us how to serve him, how to worship him, not us. It's not our jobs to set the terms. Does that make sense? And I feel like we, we like to set our own terms. We don't like when others set the terms, right? And, and God sets many terms in the scripture of how we approach him. Look, Romans 12, 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. If there's something that's acceptable to God, that means there's something that's unacceptable to God. Why would he be telling us to make sure we're holy and acceptable as living sacrifices, which is your spiritual worship? So he's defining what spiritual worship is. Is. Does that make sense? When it says here, present your body as a living sacrifice, sacrifice literally means that something's dying. Okay, when he says present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that means something has to die. Okay, I'm, I'm on the cut right now. Um, I keep telling myself that. Marcelo keeps reminding me that I'm on the cut. And that means I can't eat shawarma every day. You know, something has to die. Obviously, it hasn't died yet. I'm eating shawarma every other day. I ate three chicken Big Macs last week. Um, it's not that good. They're not that good. I'm sorry. But it just keeps calling me back. And I, I'll probably have one tonight, if I'm being honest. Um, but it's... I'm sorry, Marcel. I really am. He takes me to the gym like three times a week. And every time I show up, I tell him what I ate. And he's just so disappointed in me. And I just feel like I'm letting him down. Um, but he's, he's like, no, 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 you're fine, you're fine. That was a cheat day, it was a cheat day. It's like a cheat month for the past like, two months. He's so patient. Um, but sacrifice means that something has to die. And we don't like that. We want to keep everything that we have and we want it, like God to be loving to us. 
right? And God does love us, right? When it says here, be holy, that means be set apart, be acceptable. And we have this, we have this idea, well, God accepts me. God loves me, right? God accepts everyone, my friend. God loves everyone, Okay, so if we, we give this like pass to ourselves, well, God loves me, God accepts me, we're missing the point because that means that there's something that's unacceptable to God and we have to know what he defines as that. So tonight I want to look at how we relate to God and his holiness. Let's pray really quickly. If we can bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for tonight, oh God. Thank you, oh God, that we, that because of Jesus, we can relate to you, that we can be in your presence. It's nothing that we deserve it's nothing that um, we, we could have earned, oh God, but we're grateful, oh God. And I just pray right now that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. It's not my words that these people need to hear, Father. It's your words. So I just pray right now that you would speak and minister to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Tonight I want to look at, I'm going to look at four passages of scripture right here. And I want to give each point as a different type of person that we work with. Okay, so we all we all work with people, I hope, um, and we all know these different types of people. So the first person I'm going to look at is the person, the what's the point person. This is the person that you work with that doesn't see the point in what they're doing, doesn't see the point in their job. Who here works with someone like that? And they're just like, they're just like, what's the point of what we're doing here? Like, they just think everything's meaningless. Who, okay, for real, who here works with someone? Who here is that person? Okay, we got a few honest people that are just like, what's the point of what I'm doing? Okay, yeah, Jacob. Okay, so this first person's called What's the Point? And I want to read to you Genesis 4, 2 to 7. Um, this is a story of Cain and Abel, if you guys don't know. Um, but this is the What's the Point person. It says, and again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of a sheep. He was a shepherd and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first born of his flock and other fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So Abel, we see Abel here brings the best that he had, the first fruit. So that means he had a baby sheep. He didn't know if he was going to have any other sheep. And he's like, this one goes to God. There's no guarantee if I'm going to have any more, but God deserves my best. God deserves my first. Okay, we use this a lot when we're talking about tithing giving your first fruits to God. But Cain brought in the courts of time. So he just didn't care. You know, one day he sees Abel doing an offering. He's like, oh my God, what am I doing? I completely forgot. Um, what do we got left? What is that? That's a bruised banana. Send that. What is this here? Bag of Brussels sprouts. No one likes this stuff. Yes, yeah, send it to God. Send it to God. And he's giving God whatever is left over. Okay, he's not giving God his best. He's, in the course of time, he brings whatever. He, it doesn't even say he brings his worst. It says he just doesn't bring his first fruit. Okay, and God doesn't like it. God's not pleased with it. And I, I call people like Cain, Christian Buddhists. Well, and this is the kind of person that wants spirituality on their own terms. They don't care about what God wants. They just want to worship how they want to worship. But they expect the result to be awesome, right? And so Cain's face fell. He's like, hmm, what the heck? Why is God playing favorites? Why, why, is, why, is, why did I get the same response Abel got, right? And he's thinking, I'm going to bring whatever to God and get a good response out of it. But God is God, right? He sets the terms of how we approach him. 
And when you, when Cain thought that God or acted as if God wasn't worth his best, he devalued God in his eyes. He lowered God's position in his eyes. God's position didn't lower in reality, but in his eyes, he didn't respect God that much. And look what it says in verse 6. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Since Cain devalued God, he allowed a door for sin into his life because God doesn't really matter that much. I guess God's not worth my best. God's not worth my first fruit. God's just worth whatever I have left over. And, and God was lowered in Cain's eyes and he was trying to rewrite the terms of his relationship and the first worship service recorded in history ends in murder, okay? Cain goes and kills Abel. Sin literally overtook him. And, you know, and I think this is something that we can relate to in the sense that we can say, at least I gave something. At least I offered to God something. You know, like maybe I didn't give my best. Maybe I didn't give my God's not number one in my eyes or I didn't give God the best that I had or whatever. But at least I gave him something. And what we see here is God wasn't comparing, you know, the meat that Abel gave to the fruits or veggies. That It was just purely a matter of the heart, right? And so your best might look entirely different than someone else's best. And God's, God's fine with that. God's just looking at your heart, right? And he saw that in Cain's heart, he approached him with, mm, you're not worth what I have. You're worth whatever's left over. No one likes these Brussels sprouts you made me grow. And so here it is, Right? And so this is something that we have to watch in our lives because we can sometimes be like, well, what's the point? Why does God even want my tithe? Why does God even want my offer? God doesn't need my money. God doesn't need my time. God doesn't need me. No, 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 no. But it's, it's the other way around. He sets the terms for the relationship, not you, right? He's God, right? We got to treat him as if he is number one because he is number one. And when we approach him with that reverence that Abel had, we'll get a good response as Abel did. Right? Next person we're going to look at. This one's called My Daddy's the Boss. Who here works with someone? Don't point at me. Don't point at me. I knew it. I knew it. This was a risk. This was a risk. Who here, other than you and anyone that works with me, who here works with someone that that person's dad is like the manager or the boss? Yeah, I know. I know. No one here. Okay. So when you work with someone, I'll give you from experience. When you work with someone whose dad is the boss, they get away with a lot of stuff, okay? They get away with a lot of stuff, and they think they have a lot more power than they actually do. Okay? And so they're usually despised by their peers, That doesn't happen here. I don't get away with much. Um, so this is the, my daddy's the boss. And I'm going to give you some context here. We're going to read Leviticus 10. But who here has read the book of Leviticus? Okay. Who here, be honest, has just skipped over the book of Leviticus? 
before. Maybe maybe you've read it, gone back, but who's ever skipped over the book of Leviticus? Yeah, okay. We got some honest people. Okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. So the reason the book of Leviticus is so hard to read, one of the reasons, it's just so detailed. It's extremely detailed. The littlest details to the millimeter, to the centimeter, to like, you know, what way you have to face when you're doing this, all this stuff. There's no pictures in the whole book. Okay. So you kind of just got to read. There's nothing you can like visualize or see. It's super repetitive. Okay. They'll repeat the same thing three times. Okay. But the reason is, is because this stuff mattered. This stuff was literally life and death. Okay, so God was making sure that these people understood. I'm going to give you a whole book, an instruction manual of how to approach me. Okay, the book of Leviticus is meant for the Levites. That's what it's called, Leviticus. And it was a book for the priests, which we are. I just read, we're a holy priesthood. It's a book for the priests on how they approach God's presence. And that's why it's so detailed, because it's so important. Leviticus 10, verse 1 to 3, talks about these these boys here, Nadab and Abihu, it's their first day on the job, and their dad is the high priest. Now, let me tell you something. They missed all of the training classes. They didn't read any of the book. They completely misunderstood what they was that God wanted them to do. And it says, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So they're offering an offering that God didn't tell them to offer. But they didn't read the book. They're just like, oh, whoa, this is the first day on the job. Um, Grab that. Let's go. Wait, you missed all the classes too? Okay, that's not good. I thought you went to the classes. I thought it was my turn to skip. Okay, we'll grab that. Let's just throw this on the fire. So they offer unauthorized fire, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Okay, so next worship service we look at, someone else dies. Two people die. And we see here that we are a holy priesthood. And we see here that God set the standards for them. This is how you approach me. And they had zero regard for how God wanted to be approached. Right? They had the anointing oil on them. What does that mean? That means that they were made holy. They were set apart to do the work of God. And they approached God carelessly. Absolutely carelessly, and they got killed for it. And the way they acted says what? God should just be happy with whatever he gets. At least he's getting an offering. At least he's getting something, right? Like, who am I? I'm just going to give him an offering. At least he's getting. We think God is so desperate that he'll just take whatever he can get. And the reality is, God isn't. God isn't. Right? Or we think God loves me so much and God is so obsessed with me. He's like, he's like a jealous boyfriend and he's like always slipping into my DMs and he just wants me so bad and whatever I can give him, he just loves that. And, and God just wants your heart. He wants your attention. Right? God, God's not like desperate for you in the sense that he's going to lower his standards or, or, or compromise his holiness for you. Because the truth is, he did everything that needed to be done to make you holy. He paid the ultimate price to have you. Right? So he's setting the standard. And the reality is, what I want to say to you here is, does God love you? Absolutely. But God's not compromising his holiness for you. Right? God's love flows from his holiness. He wants to be with you. But he recognized what? There's a sin problem here. 
and he, we can only be together if we're both holy. And I'm holy if I'm God, right? And, and you're not. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to send Jesus to die for you, to make you holy so we can be together, right? And so we see here, there's a way we approach God and we have to understand this. And it was purely a heart thing. It was purely a heart thing. They didn't care. They offered whatever to God. They offered whatever fire to God. Like, who cares? And God's like, I'm not having this. First day on the job, I got to make a statement here, right? God loves me so much. And we think sometimes he'll just take whatever he can get. When, God, when the Bible says that God is jealous, it doesn't mean that he'll take whatever he can get. It means he's not willing to share you with anyone. Right? That means that there's no compromise in your life. That means it's just you and God. And that's a decision that you have to make. Right? He did everything that needed to be done because of his immense love for you. Now it's a choice that you make in response. You either accept the terms or you decline the terms. Right? He's not forcing anything on anyone. Right? The next person we're going to look at is this one is me and the boss are tight. And this is that person that we all envy that they're like super tight with their boss and they have like an in and them and the boss like or the manager will go out for wings after and stuff and you never get invited and they get away with a bunch of stuff. Um, this is that next person we're going to look at. And we'll give you some context here. This is later on. Um, this is in 1 Samuel. So this is in the time of when Saul was king. In the Ark of the Covenant that was built during the time of, you know, when Leviticus was written and all that stuff, the Ark of the Covenant is what God's presence rested in. So now we're living in the New Testament, and God's presence is here with us. It lives inside of you. But back then, God's presence, he allowed himself to be limited to a box. All right? So God's presence rested in this golden box. If you've seen Indiana Jones, you kind of have an idea of what it looks like. Um... It's, it doesn't act the way that they thought it acted, but it gives you some kind of visual. But in this time, the ark was not into Jerusalem because it had been stolen. And the reason it had been stolen was because the people of Israel were using God's ark or God's presence as this good luck charm. So they weren't um, honoring God. They weren't living lives according to God. They were worshiping other gods, but they knew that if they brought the ark into battle, they would always have victory. So they would live whatever life they wanted, and then they'd start losing. They'd be like, oh, let's go get the ark. Let's go get the ark. Okay, bring it, bring it, bring it. And they were just using it like a good luck charm. Okay? And God's like, enough of this. So he allows the ark to get stolen, and then later on, they retrieve it, but there's no city in Jerusalem. There's no temple. There's nothing really structured, so they leave it in this guy's house, and this guy is Abinadab, and they leave it in his house, and it stays in Abinadab's house for 20, over 20 years, okay? That's 1 Samuel 7, but we're going to go to 2 Samuel 6, verse 2, and then David becomes king. And he's like, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go get the presence of God and let's bring it into Jerusalem, the capital city, right? And David's never been alive in a moment where he's experienced God's presence in this way, in terms of the Ark of the Covenant. It says, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him um, to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who sit enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the Ark of God on a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. 
and David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Just a bunch of stuff, okay? Just like a bunch of noise. And they're celebrating because they're bringing the presence of God back. And there's just so much going on here. These boys, Uzzah and Ahio, they have lived because they're the sons of Abinadab. So they've lived with the ark of God, the presence of God in their house for over 20 years. Okay, so they've lived. They know how the ark is, okay? And they, they start to treat it like it's no big deal because 200 years before, in the book of Numbers, the same time where the book of Leviticus was written, how do you approach God, there was, there's, there's a scripture. You can read it in Numbers 4 and number 7. And it says that the ark of God can only be transported on by humans, on their shoulders. They have to carry it on their shoulders, and it has to be by the sons of a certain dude, which I have here. His name is Wack. Um, where is his name? It's like Kahio or something. Where is it? Da-da-da. Kohath. Everyone say Kohath with me. So the sons of Kohath had to carry on their shoulders. And it says, literally in Numbers, it says, to all these other people, I'll give a bunch of wagons to carry this stuff. But to these guys, I'm not giving any wagons. I'm not giving any carts because they have to carry the ark on their shoulders. The first thing we see with Uzzah and Ohio, brand new cart. It says, verse 3, they carried the ark of God on a new cart. And what it shows here. The problem that we see is there this familiarity that they grew in a, in a negative way. We should become, you know, a used to the presence of God. And we should know the presence of God and, and be used to entering to the presence of God. But the problem is that these guys became so familiar with the ark of God living in their house that they lost respect for it. And I wonder here, maybe there's some people today or tonight that, that they've grown up in church. And they know how to play church. They know what it's like. They know what to say. They know how to act. They know all this stuff. And they become so familiar with the presence of God and being around the presence of God that they lose respect for the presence of God. The ark should have never been carried on a cart. And the first thing they do is like, no, God, trust me. Your rules, I'll be honest, a little outdated. And how often do we say that? We read stuff in the Bible like, oh, God must be joking about that. Or maybe that just worked back then, but I don't think, it's, I don't think that's for now. And they're like, God, God, sons of Kohath, we don't even know who those guys are. But don't worry, we got a brand new cart, zero kilometers on it. You're going to love this. This is, this is what you want, God. This is what you want to be carried on. And they just, what do they do? They start changing the terms of their relationship. God said, this is what I want. They're like, no, 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 God, trust, trust. This is what you want. What happens? They carry the cart. Verse 6, they came to the threshing floor of Nacon. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. So, so the ark, so the God's like, ah, oh, and then Uzzah's like, ah, oh, and then God's like, ah, oh, and then Uzzah's like, ah, oh, let me help you, God. God, you need my help. Grabs it. Uzzah dies instantly. Dead. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead for that. You're absolutely dead for that. I said, no one can touch the ark or they're going to die. No one can touch the ark. What do you do? You touch the ark. What else do you do? You put it on a cart. And they don't take God seriously because, oh, this is, the, this is the ark. This is the thing that was in the corner of our tent for all these years. This thing was just collecting dust this whole time. 
And we lose that reverence, that respect for how great God's presence is. And we treat it like it's nothing. And we forget what it is that we signed up to. Right? We got to understand that David never experienced the ark of God in this way. The presence of God. And it says here in verse 8, David became angry. Another worship service, someone dies. David became angry because the Lord broke out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. So David was angry at first. And then he was afraid of the Lord. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And we see here that the reverence that Uzzah and Ahio lacked, David finds in that very moment. He gets afraid in that moment. And he, say, he starts thinking to himself, because he's never seen the ark. He's never been close to the ark. This is the first time. And he starts thinking to himself, maybe this isn't what we thought it was. Maybe this isn't the good luck charm that we thought it was. Maybe it's something far greater than we've been pretending it is or we've thought or we've acted like it is. And he says, so David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. And the ark of the Lord remained in this guy's Obed's house for three months. And the Lord blessed him and all his household. And let me tell you something. That's what the presence of God is meant to do. It's meant to bring blessing. Right, But the problem is that these people were treating it with contempt. They were disregarding, devaluing the presence of God. And it wasn't bringing the blessing it was meant to bring. But the ark of God was in this guy at Obed's house. I'm assuming he respected it because it said it blessed him. It blessed him and his whole household. So when we revere the presence of God, when we respect the presence of God and who God is, it brings blessing into our life as it should, right? Not death. And we see here all these people we've looked at have all, you know, disrespected God's presence and ended up dead for it. Now, I'm not saying God here is going to kill you. No, but I'm afraid that if we're not careful about this, it could lead us to death if we don't respect God's presence. If we begin to devalue who God is in our eyes, that he's not worth my everything. He's not worth the best that I have. Right? Oh, he's just God. Whatever. He'll just take whatever he can get. Whatever's left over, I'll just give to God. I'll just offer it up to him. I'm like, who cares? Whatever. But we have to have this fear of the Lord in our hearts that I, I will not offer up anything that's not my best to God. The best time of my day belongs to the Lord. The best of my finances belongs to the Lord. The best of my love and my attention belongs to the Lord because he's worth that and even more than I can give. Alternate title of my message, God Kills People, sometimes. This is the fourth person. This is the person that's called I'm Special. And this is the person that thinks they're special and they think they can get away with anything. And they've just, like, they're, they're pretty good at what they do. And they like do get away with a lot of stuff. Um, this is the I'm Special person. Who here is the I'm Special person at work? Not one person thinks they're special at work. I am the I'm Special person at work. It is me, people. Oh, yeah? Come on, put it there. That's what's up. I'm special. This is the last one I'm going to look at here. And this is Second Chronicles 26, 3 to 5. And this is the story of a man named Uzziah. He's a king, 
Okay, he's a king in Israel. And it says here in 2 Chronicles, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. So he's a good king. Okay, he's doing the right before the eyes of God. That's good. That's, that's what I want my funeral people to tell about me. Um, it says, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God made sure he made him prosper. Okay, good. Nothing wrong with that. Fantastic. Second Chronicles 26, 16, a few verses later says, but, uh-oh, but when he was strong, he grew proud. Oh, dang it, Uzziah. To his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So he's a good king. He did the right stuff. God loved him. God gave him favor. God made him prosper. God made him victorious in battle. And so he grew proud. He's like, well, God, God has special rules for me. God has different set of rules for me because I've done good before God. I've obeyed him. I've done good. So you know what? I'm going to go into the temple and I'm going to offer up my own incense. And the thing is, the, the altar was meant for burning incense. But in the book of Leviticus that we just talked about that the other guys didn't read, it says that only priests can enter in there. No one else. Doesn't matter how special you think you are. No one else can enter into there and offer incense. And this guy's like, well, I'm special. You know, God, God will have a different set of rules for me. Didn't God say that only priests should do this? Yeah, but I'm special. I'm special. And I think a lot of times we can, we, can, we have, we know what the Bible says. We've read the Bible. We've heard the Bible. We've grown up going to church maybe or we've heard what, you know, Pastor Frank or Pastor Phil's preaching upstairs. We've been to growth track and we hear it. It's like, yeah, but I'm special. Those rules don't really apply to me because God, God sees who I am. God sees where I'm at. And we think God has a different set of rules for us. And what happens here is that he storms in, starts offering up incense. Then the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who are men of valor. They're just storming the castle. And then withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah. To burn incense to the Lord before the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. We see here Uzziah loving God so much that he goes ahead and disobeys him. He's trying to approach God on his own terms. And God's not having it. God causes leprosy. And back then when you had leprosy, you were excommunicated. You had to go live like all by yourself, like outside of the city walls. And um, God blessed Uzziah. God gave him victory. But here's one thing I'm going to tell you. Do not confuse God's grace as weakness. Do not confuse God's love as weakness. God is not weak. God is not soft. Okay, he's a just God. He's a righteous God, right? And I think a lot of times, like, oh, God loves me so much. He's going to bend the rules for me. Mm -mm. He's not. And that's a lie of the enemy. 
And I'm here to expose it here tonight because I think a lot of us become diluted with that and we believe, no, God, has, God understands my situation. But God, he's the one that determines the rules of the relationship, right? And we think a lot of times that God is, oh, well, God's, God's going to have, you know, a special thing for me. You know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not following anything that the word says, but God, I'm special. I've done my time. I've done my time. You know, I've grown up in church. Me and the boss, we're tight. We go way back. We go way back. I've done, no, 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 no. Forget that. You are still called still to be a holy priesthood. You're still called to be set apart. You're still called to be a living sacrifice. And God is still a holy God. And we have to recognize that and approach him on his terms. Right? And I think, listen to me. If you read something in the Bible that you don't like, go ahead and assume that you're wrong. Okay? And assume the Bible's right. Okay, so if you're reading something like, oh, no, God didn't really mean this. God, no, 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 this is way outdated. Just go ahead and assume that your opinion is wrong and that the word of God is correct, okay? And let it, let it like fight you out because you're trying to bring your flesh to death, right? You're trying to kill your flesh. You want that old man to go. And so when, when the Bible is showing you something and you're like, ah, oh, no, 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 let me, let me, God's gonna bend the rules for me because I'm special, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself, Okay, God says, I'll give you everlasting life. I'm going to give you new mercies every single morning. I'm going to give you so much grace. It's going to overflow. I'm going to give you peace beyond what you can even understand. I'm going to give you hope every single day, victory over the enemy. I'll provide for you everything you need. I'm going to take care of you. And then in return, we say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'll go to church twice a month, maybe, if I feel like it, Um, depending on the month. I'll be real with you, though, God. I'm not going to tithe. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'm straight up. I'm not going to tithe. I just feel like you don't need my money. And I feel like church is sketch. And I feel like they do sketchy things with my money. So I'm not going to tithe. Um, I'll read my Bible. Actually, I won't read my Bible. I won't read my Bible. But I'll download the app. I'll download the Bible app. And I'll sign up for a plan. And I'll hit catch me up every single day. Every single day I'll hit that catch me up button. I'll be caught up. I won't kill people. I won't kill people, God. I'll do that for you. I won't physically kill people. I might physically kill people. I don't know. I don't know, God. It's just like you're just asking for so much. You're just asking for too much, God. And the reality is God has a high standard, and he gives you everything you need to be victorious in that high standard. He's not setting an impossible standard. By yourself, completely impossible. But you're not alone. You've been made into a holy priesthood, and you have Jesus living inside of you, right? And the thing is, like, you're asking me here, JV, are we screwed? Are we screwed? And the answer is no, we're not. You know, I don't want to shame anyone here. I really don't. We're in the same boat. As I was prepping this message this week, I'll be honest with you, I was weeping. I was crying. God was convicting me so much in the way that I treat him, the way I approach him. And I hope here tonight, you know, no one here feels um, shamed, um, or attacked. I just, I hope there's just like a conviction in your heart, maybe of the way you've seen God or have approached God, right? God's a holy God. He's not just your bro. He's not your homeboy, right? He's not a jealous boyfriend. He's God. He's a king. He created you, right? And we have to treat him with this respect, right? 
And we like it's for some reason, you know, when we're three years old, we can we can understand the concept that my dad loves me, but he'll also spank me on the bum like to discipline me. But at some point along the way, when we like turn 18, like we just forget about discipline. And we just like, no, God just loves me. He doesn't discipline me. He doesn't. He just loves me. He just loves everything I do. He's obsessed with me and everything I say and wherever I go. God just so just loves everything I do. And we, we confuse, we, we forget about the holiness of God. And I want to bring to your attention this boy, this guy named Isaiah, who lived at the same time as King Uzziah. And Isaiah chapter 6 says this. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And it's no coincidence that when Uzziah dies, Isaiah sees God. And when he sees God, when he's, he's taken up into this heavenly place, you know what he hears? That same song, holy, holy, holy. They never stop singing. They're singing it right now. And he hears this. And you know what, what Isaiah does? He pees in his pants. He's so afraid because of the reverence that he has for God. He says, man, I should not be here. I don't belong here. And this is the difference between him and Uzziah. Uzziah's like, this is where I belong. And God's like, no, you don't belong here. There's this pride in Uzziah's eye. But Isaiah's in God's presence, and he says, there's no way I belong here. God is too holy. I'm, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. The people I live with, are people of unclean lips. Johnny, you can come up to the keys. The people I live with are people of unclean lips. And you know what God's response is to that? Oh, I love this. I have all day for you. We approach God with this humility. And you know when he says, yeah, you are unclean, but don't worry, I'll clean you. I'll clean your lips. I'll wash you. And you see the difference in between all these people that approach God on their own terms versus someone that approaches God on God's terms and recognizes and has this reverence for who God is. And he says, I know you're not clean, but I'll make you holy. I'll cleanse you. I'll wash you. You see this in Hebrews it says, Hebrews 10, 10, it says that, and by that will we have been sanctified, been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And I'm, I just want to tell you guys that like tithing and, you know, going to church and serving, that's not going to make you holy, right? This isn't, we're not in a Catholic church here, right? It's, it's, that's not what it is. It's not you do the right stuff and you're made, you've been made holy. Now we act like it. Now we live like it. You've been made holy not because of anything you've done or anything you will ever do. It's by purely based on what Jesus has done and your willingness to accept it. But now you have to live like it because God is a holy God. And he loves you so much that he would make you holy to be with you. And when Isaiah is in God's presence and he has this reverence, instead of God saying, yeah, you are a person of being clean lips, get the heck out of here. What does he say? He says, no, 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 no. This is where I want you to be. I'll clean you so you can stay here. I'll clean you. I'll wash you. I'll cleanse your lips. Because this is where I want you. And God wants you to be in his presence. 
you have been created to be in God's presence. And I'm afraid, and I, I just, I'm hoping here that we can recognize this, but I'm afraid that some point along the way we lost it. We lost the reverence that we had for God, and we just treated God like whatever. He's just there. Who cares? Whatever. It's not a big deal. It's just God. He's just, he's been in my tent for the past 20 years, whatever. Like we just, we used to put our cups on him. And we treat God like this, it's no big deal, but he's the God of the universe. And he did everything to be with you. And he, he's just asking for that reverence that we approach him with. That whatever we give him, whether it be our time, our money, our resources, whatever, we give him the best that we have because we see that he deserves it. We approach God with this reverence. We approach God understanding that he is holy there is no other like him you know for me being on the worship team for so long you know i i, I joined the worship team when i was like 12 or 13 years old and this is something that you know like i've struggled with along the way that i've had to keep catching myself. like why am i up there why am i doing what i'm doing is it because it looks cool is it like did, am i giving god my best is my heart in the right place and this is something that we have to check as we live our lives we're called to be a holy priesthood, and when we offer God, we come on his terms, not on our own terms. And we'd be like Cain, is like, oh, well, why didn't I get a good response? I, just, I, gave you, I gave you something. You should just be happy I gave you anything. God's not lowering his standards. God did everything for you so that you could be in his presence. So I just wonder if we could just bow our heads right now. I want to remind you that God loves you. Okay, and this is the paradox that we live in, is the holiness of God and the love of God. Right, and his love flows from his holiness. He's perfect in love and perfect in holiness. And right now, I just wonder um, if, if like maybe along the way, along the way maybe you've lost that reverence that you've lost that respect that holy respect that you've had for God and that you've been left giving him your whatever's left God loves you but he is worthy of the best that we have He's worthy of the very best that we have to bring. And in your own words right now, just between you and God, just address that with him right now. Whatever it may be, maybe it's your money. Maybe it's your time. Maybe you haven't prioritized, you know, being in God's house or being with God's people. Maybe it's, you, you just miss out on your devotional life or your prayer life. And you're like, oh, whatever. God will be there whenever I get around to it. And you've put, maybe you've put the desires of your flesh before him. Doing the things that your flesh desires that you know God is opposed to. God wants to give you victory in these areas because as we walk with him, we find just as we did with that other guy, Obed, we find what? that he had favor 
over his life. He had favor over him. And God's presence wants to dwell with you. So as Johnny just plays right now, I just want to just pray just between you and God. Just you and God, just, you know, whisper it to God, just the things that you want to consecrate to him. Maybe repent. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe that we weren't meant to do life alone. So feel free to reach out by following and DMing us at UV Young Adults. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone you know.